welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars and today is Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. We are on episode 78 and today we will be talking about the voodoo high priestess of New Orleans, Madame Marie Laveau. And we will also discuss a brief history on the genesis of New Orleans voodoo. When you visit the city of New Orleans, or you could say New Orleans, um, I've also heard New Orleans, even by native speakers, I'm gonna go with either New Orleans or New Orleans, or you'll hear Nolens when you're down there. New Orleans, Louisiana. When you visit that city, and I love New Orleans, it might even be, okay, I'm going to go on record to say it's my favorite American city. I am going on record to say that is my favorite town, and um, the crime is really bad there. But I'm a Chicagoan. Um, I'm a little used to, which is sad to say. Anyway, there is a real literal and figurative spirit in New Orleans. And it's almost like the Chicago of the South. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Even though it looks like a European city, it has a kind of a Chicago-y spirit. Anyway, and, and there's spirits too of many kinds. But anyway, moving along. Okay. When you visit New Orleans, you can join in on any of the hundreds of walking tours that the city has to offer that specialize in things like history or in ghosts or vampires, the Anne Rice vampires or voodoo, the religion voodoo. Your tour guides will weave tales of fact and fiction as they lead you through the French Quarter and you stroll down cobblestoned, narrow streets, sentineled by pre-revolutionary buildings, belit with old-world gas lamps. Your guides will host you as you meander through New Orleans cemeteries, which are populated by above-ground tombs. Now, one of the most popular tales that are woven with threads of fact and braids of fiction is the story of Marie Laveau. And you can actually visit Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo Shop, which is a small store. Uh, you will find that on Bourbon Street at the corner of St. Anne. And that shop is situated about two and a half blocks away from where Marie Laveau lived. When you walk into the shop, you will find yourself underneath a hand-painted sign that reads, Strange Gods, Strange Altars. And you enter a dimly lit shop where you will find a two-room store that is covered wall-to-wall from floor to ceiling with talismans, charms, um, oils, herbs, incense, cigars, um, some t-shirts, some jewelry, definitely altar statues, and all other man manner of magical 
paraphernalia. There is a statue of the revered Queen of Voodoo herself that is for sale. Again, we're talking spirits. So let me tell you about the spirit of this shop before I move on to the histories of Madame Laveau and uh, New Orleans Voodoo. You walk into Marie Laveau's shop and the first thing you hear is a stern but professional, professional directive from a sales clerk that anyone who enters, they need to put their phones away and there cannot be photography. Um, and one of the reasons why is um, I think the estimates are up to 15% of New Orleans residents seriously pra practice voodoo. I have heard another um, uh, um, figure that said that 40,000 voodoo practitioners live in New Orleans and it's like the real deal. It's not dabbling and it's not, you know, doing um, rites from this religion and mixing it with that. It, it is true New Orleans voodoo um, that is practiced. And those amulets that are hanging from the wall, walls of Marie Laveau's shop are sacred. They are blessed. Unlike so many other stores in the French Quarter, especially along Bourbon Street, the voodoo amulets of this shop and all of the other objects are not touristy trinkets. They are meant to be respected. And I even knew that before the clerk even said anything because that store is heavy with spirits and not the kind you imbibe, although there's plenty of that on Bourbon Street. The spirits there in <clears throat> sorry let me take a drink I can't speak this morning the spirits in Marie Laveau's shop let me know that I was a visitor and I needed to conduct myself as such <clears throat> in fact I believe that all of New Orleans is really haunted. It's haunted in a way that Venice, Italy is haunted. Like I could feel the spirits right next to me. And the moment I flew into New Orleans, I felt this big warm embrace by the spirits. Um, and I felt that again everywhere else I went in the city. But walking into an actual voodoo shop, that put me in my place. So what I did is I just quickly looked, looked around, um, just uh, I wanted to see everything. So I very quickly looked around and I promptly left because I'm going to let voodoo be voodoo over there while I stand over here. So I entered and exited that store with a curious respect and out of that respect, I left it alone because I am not a voodoo practitioner and there are serious serious voodoo practitioners in New Orleans uh, and I think most of the clerks at Marie Laveau's are also very deeply into it anyway 
I have read so much about the Voodoo Queen Marie Laveau that really I'm not completely sure what is fact and what is fiction about her life. Although she is definitely, most certainly, a real person. So I've read many reports, many articles, books, and I just kind of compiled together narratives that, um, that seem to coalesce and seem to repeat each other and use that to tell her story. But please be aware that her history and her story is mostly colored by a white perspective. I can't stress that enough. Her lifestyle and her religion and even her gender and sex are retold through the lens of mostly white male historians and record keepers who were not immersed in her reality as a colored person, as a woman, and as a practitioner of voodoo. So even the most researched and sympathetic historian may not have completely gotten her right. So with respect to that, let's begin some historical context of her race and her religion, which is voodoo. So let's just jump back very quickly to 1682. The French explorer Robert or Robert Cavalier de la Salle claimed the region of Louisiana to honor King Louis XIV of France. Then, and <clears throat> excuse me, I still have sinus issues. In 1762, about 80 years later, the area around New Orleans and the parishes around Lake Pontchartrain became a colony of Spain by the Treaty of Fontainebleau. In 1800, okay, so the little scenario I'm, I'm pasting for you here is now we have French and Spanish colonists in Louisiana right now. Then, in 1800, Napoleon Bonaparte negotiated a secret treaty with Spain's Charles IV, which ceded the Louisiana colony back to France in exchange for a small kingdom in northern Italy. Louisiana became a formal colony of French, or I'm sorry, of France again in 1803. Okay. However, France's defeat in the 13-year-long slave revolt of Saint-Domingue, Haiti, made French officials decide that new colonial holdings in the New World may not be such a good move. Napoleon promptly sold Louisiana to the United States for $15 million dollars. The Louisiana Purchase included the present state of Louisiana, but also all of the land from the Gulf Course up to the Canadian border between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains. Anglo-Americans swarmed into New Orleans after the Louisiana Purchase, and what they encountered there was a diverse Roman Catholic mostly French-speaking city of Creoles. 
where racial boundaries were fluid. And we'll talk more about what makes up, or I'll do it now. A Creole is any person, regardless of race, who was born in a French or Spanish colony, as opposed to being born in their mother country. Creoles, who were both black and white, and today, man, they are proud. To, they will tell you they are Creole the minute you meet them. Creoles are both black and white, and they were free people of color at the time. And they were also enslaved people. And they all lived and worked in the city and intermingled often. Black, white, colored, enslaved, they're all intermingling. And the Anglo-Americans were outraged at this racial mixing um, that was so common in New Orleans. They viewed Roman Catholicism as idolatry and they viewed voodoo as heathenism. Now, during the 18th and early 19th centuries, thousands of refugees fled the political and violent upheaval that was happening in San Domingue, Haiti, and they went to cities like New York, Philadelphia, and Savannah. Many also made their way to Louisiana. 30,000 people fled Cuba, but in 1809, when they refused to swear allegiance to Spain, they were forced um, the fleeing was being like they were um, kicked out. They were forced out and they made their way to the French speaking port of New Orleans. Nearly 10,000 San Domingue Haitian immigrants or refugees arrived in New Orleans in 1809 alone. These immigrants were uh, also a, uh, they were also a racially diverse group. Um, which include natives of France and whites and free people of color. Many of them also brought their African slaves. This influx of people from San Domingue, um, who shared many cultural similarities with the Creole population of New Orleans, that caused even more strain amongst the Anglo-Protestant type white people who were worried about the presence of so many free people of color. They were very threatened by that because blacks were to be owned and blacks and whites do not intermingle. And New Orleans was turning that philosophy on its ear even all the way back then. And this is what Marie Laveau was born into, this mass immigration and this mass racial mixing. She was born into that. And all throughout her childhood and teenage years, she watched New Orleans change from a racially integrated Creole community that spoke French and was predominantly Roman Catholic to become an increasingly segregated city as more Protestant Anglo-Americans migrated into Louisiana. 
Marie Catherine Laveau was born on September 10th, 1801 to a free woman of white, black, and Native American extract. In other words, her mother was Creole. Her mother's name was Marguerite d'Arcantel Henri, and her father was named Charles Laveau Trudeau, whose race was always in question, although there is lack of evidence, evidence that he was black. He may have been a white Frenchman. Charles was in the business of politics, real estate, and slave trading. In summary, Marie Laveau was of mixed race and she was a free woman who owned slaves. Because oftentimes when you think of Marie Laveau, you mostly think black, that she's a black woman. But she's actually very mixed with all kinds of um, French, like I said, okay, um, French, uh, Native American, also black. Um, um, but yeah, she was mixed race and had some privileges in her society, the way she was born. <clears throat> anyway, in August of 1819, at this point, Marie Laveau was about 18 years old, and she, or close to it, she married Jacques Paris, also known as Jacques Santiago in Spanish records. And Jacques Paris was a quadroon. And a quadroon was someone who was a quarter black. So he himself was a free man of color. And he had fled as one of the refugees from the Haitian Revolution and the aforementioned former colony of San Domingue. Their marriage certificate is preserved in the St. Louis Cathedral, which is situated in Jackson Square in New Orleans. So if you go to New Orleans, the heart of the touristy area is Jackson Square, and you're going to see a church there um, featured on its own square. That is St. Louis Cathedral. Go visit it. It is chocked full of history. Now, <clears throat> Marie Laveau and Jacques Perry, they had two daughters, Felicité in... Um, 1817 and Angel in 1820. Both of those girls disappear from records in the 1820s, um, as did their father, Jacques Santiago Perry. Now, <clears throat> he is believed to have died somewhere between 1820 and 1824, and I think um, this is possibly the result, both uh, Marie's husband and her daughters, um, I think they all three possibly died of the yellow fever epidemic. I think that is definitely true of her husband. I don't really know what happened to Felicité and Angèle, Angel, um, but they do disappear from records. So um, her husband dies and Marie subsequently went by the name Widow Perry. Now, Laveau's... Um, maternal grandmother had a house built where Marie Laveau ended up living and raising her family. The land where the home was, so you can't visit the original home, it now houses another home that was built in the early 20th century. But it was located on the uptown side of St. Anne Street 
at the upper edge of the French Quarter, which was roughly one block to Congo Square, and we are going to talk about Congo Square. Congo Square is adjacent to what we know now as Louis Armstrong Park, which is there over on Rampart Street. And um, it's a short walking distance to St. Louis Cathedral, maybe um, a 10 minute walk. Um, it's also right across the street from St. Louis Cemetery number one and two. And um, it's close to the Paris prison. These are all places where Marie Laveau was known to have frequented. So her spirit and her um, tracks are all over the French Quarter, which is probably what you'll be visiting if you're um, visiting as a tourist. <clears throat> now, after her husband died, Marie entered into an agreement known as placage with a wealthy white Frenchman named Christophe Dominique Dominique de Glapion. Glapion. Um, anytime I try to speak French, native French speakers tell me that I sound like I'm Chinese trying to speak French. So um, if that offends, my apologies. Placage arrangements were common among free women of color during the antebellum period before because Louisiana law prevented legal marriages between white people and people of color. Therefore, many couples lived in these types of arrangements, like the placage, which allowed white men to live with and support black and mixed-race women and their families. And I think this is because if Louisiana wanted to be part of the United States, they had to at least formally say no blacks and whites cannot marry but because culturally this was accepted there were these little arrangements you can make and you could legally live with um, a black or a mixed race woman if you were a white dude and have families with them now Glapion was 30 years Marie Laveau senior but by all accounts it was true love and the uh, the um, they, Glapion and Laveau reportedly had anywhere between seven and fifteen children together, from 1827 to 1838. Fifteen's a lot, so I kind of doubt that. I'm kind of thinking maybe some of these children were grandchildren. Interracial domestic partnerships were fairly common in antebellum New Orleans, um, you know, consisting of a white man and a non-white woman and often including racially mixed children. Archival evidence shows that many of the unions were long-term committed relationships that resembled legal marriages. Often records of these unions can be found in the church records where white fathers might be listed as the legitimate father of racially mixed children who were baptized. Laveau opened up a beauty parlor. So when you hear the legend of Marie Laveau, you ultimately learn that she is a hairdresser. Okay, so she opens up this beauty parlor where she is the hairdresser for the wealthier families of New Orleans. 
She excelled at obtaining inside information on her wealthy patrons at the beauty parlor by very carefully listening to the ladies gossiping or from their servants whom she either paid or cured of mysterious ailments because Marie Laveau was an expert herbalist. Now, she used this information during her voodoo consultations with wealthy Orleanian women to enhance her image as a clairvoyant. And she used this intel to give them practical advice. And that's how she made a lot of her money. So, yes, she was a hairdresser and she could fix your hair, but that was kind of a front for this even bigger money maker. And I want to be careful saying that because you're going to think, okay, she's a charlatan. You could think that or you could think how else is a mixed race woman going to get by, you know, in antebellum United States of America. Okay. And who knows, maybe she really did have a gift. Voodoo was her religion and she was widely considered to have to be very gifted um, you know, again, as a clairvoyant and, um, in her use of herbs and charms. So this is a very gifted woman as well. She also made money by selling her clients Grigri, um, which are charms to help them, um, make their wishes come true. And these were very wealthy, educated white people who were buying this, um, and this included the men of society, um, important men in society, the politicians and the police. They were coming to see her um, and to get her help. And she was really helping people recover from illness with her herbs that she was doing. Now, Marie Laveau is, cons is confirmed to have owned at least <clears throat> seven slaves during her lifetime. And I think that might surprise people, but her, her father was a slave trader and she did have a very big home with a lot of people living in it. Um, and of course, this was a time when slavery was perfectly legal and socially acceptable. And she herself had seven slaves, at least. While some records suggest that Laveau and Glapion bought her home from her grandmother, which is probably the case. Um, her grandmother dies and she leaves her assets to all of her children and grandchildren, which is a lot of people, but Laveau and Glapion bought, bought them out and they um, recovered this home. But another legend has it that Laveau's home ownership was due to her voodoo abilities. In one story, a wealthy man petitioned Marie Laveau for help when his son was accused of murder. The man asked Laveau for his son's freedom and in payment, he would grant her a house on St. Anne Street. According to the story, Laveau spent weeks praying to voodoo Loa, Loa are spirits, and also to Catholic saints in St. Louis Cathedral. While in prayer, she held three guinea peppers under her tongue. When the spirits saw her willingness to suffer, they decided to help her. 
On the morning of the trial, Laveau placed the guinea peppers under the judge's seat. The man's son was proclaimed innocent. Anne-Marie was rewarded the house on St. Anne. That is one of the stories about her homeownership. Nearly all of the Creole population of New Orleans was Roman Catholic. The majority of congregants at St. Louis Cathedral, where Laveau was a, a parishioner and where her records are all kept, her birth certificate, her children's birth certificates, death, certi death certificates, marriage certificates, everything is found at St. Louis Cathedral on Laveau. Now, the majority of the congregants there were, hello, females of African descent. Travelers often noted that racially and ethnic ethnically mixed congregation that worshiped there and black, white, man, woman, no matter who you were, um, free, enslaved, everyone sat in the same pews together. The room in St. Louis Cathedral was not segregated at all. Everyone intermingled. This was practically unheard of anywhere else in the U U.S. at the time. Now again, um, St. Louis Cathedral is in the heart of the French Quarter in Jackson Square. Do not miss visiting St. Louis Cathedral. And when you do, think about this story of interracial mingling and Marie Laveau's membership at that cathedral the next time you go and visit. And St. Louis Cathedral is magnificent anyway, but then to know that backstory makes it even more interesting. Okay. Also, don't miss Touchdown Jesus at night in the back. So what you do is you walk down Royal Street and you come to the back of St. Louis Cathedral. And there's this uh, big statue of Jesus and he's got his arms up in the air, um, outstretched, like he wants to hug the world. And people often call it touchdown Jesus because it looks like the signs the referees make when there's a touchdown in football. And there is a big spotlight that is way on the ground and is pointing up at Jesus. And so the statue catches up, casts a big shadow on the back of St. Louis Cathedral. It's a big white wall. So you have this big old shadow of Jesus, and it is gigantic. Anyway, that's the back of the cathedral. Okay, so back to the story. Laws governing enslaved people in New Orleans gave enslaved people Sunday afternoons and holidays off. And they would spend their free time cultivating gardens. Um, they would fish and they would do other things that would give them goods that they could sell and trade. Many would have their Sunday Mass at St. Louis Cathedral or at St. Augustine's Church, and then after church, they would walk over to the public square with their goods, and they would set up market. Beginning in 1817, a traveling circus from Havana named the Congo Circus set up in the public square during the winter season because 
Winter in New Orleans is like 70, 80 degrees. From then, um, from then on, the public square was known as either Circus Square or more often Congo Square. Congo Square is very important to Marie Laveau's story. Weekly gatherings on Sunday afternoons included a vibrant market alongside drumming and dance circles that included enslaved people, free people of color, and Creoles who are both black and white. Sounds like a lot of fun. And this was every Sunday after church. And it is here where many say New Orleans voodoo flourished. In New Orleans in the 18th and 19th centuries, slaves, Creoles, free people of color, they all practiced a type of voodoo that incorporated African, Roman Catholicism, and Native American religious practices. According to Carolyn Morrow Long, who is perhaps the premier biographer on Marie Laveau, Karen, Carolyn Morrow Long said that in every French, Spanish, and Portuguese slave-owning colony of the Caribbean and South America, some intermingling of African traditional beliefs with Roman Catholicism evolved. Okay, New Orleans voodoo, like Haitian voodoo, like Cuban Santeria, like Brazilian Candomblé. New Orleans voodoo was an organized religion with a complex theology, a pantheon of deities and spirits, a priesthood, and a congregation of believers. This is important to American history, particularly to religious American history. New Orleans voodoo is the only Afro-Catholic religion to emerge in North America. The Afro-Catholic religions that evolved in the New World colonies are derived from the Fon and Yoruba people of West Africa and the Congo of Central Africa, who were enslaved in great numbers and made their way to Louisiana, San Domingue, Cuba, and Brazil. Historian Ina Joanna Fandrick argues that the prevalence of New Orleans female voodoo practitioners can be traced to West and Central Africa. She maintains that, like its Haitian counterpart, New Orleans voodoo is a hybrid combining several cultural origins. Again, West and Central Africa, European and Native American elements into a viable new form, but its basic patterns remain African. Can you see why white men were both enthralled and threatened by this group of women? In the decade before the Civil War, the color line hardened as white New Orleanians fears increased and places where slaves, free people of color, and white people 
gathered together were strictly policed. Laws were passed that restricted unauthorized gatherings where the races freely mixed together. In April of 1858, the city council, uh, they passed a law to ensure, quote, the South and the safety of the institution of slavery by requiring that any Christian worship must be conducted under the supervision of a white minister. So these lively Congo Square parties, um, the Sunday afternoon after church, these assemblies began to get smaller as larger markets opened nearby. But what really stopped the festivities was the city ordinance that prohibited outdoor dancing, drumming, and the playing of musical instruments without permission from the mayor. So Congo Square was subsequently planted with young sycamore trees. And you walk over there today, those young sycamore trees exist, but they're bigger and they are beautiful. However, they did impede large groups of dancers. <clears throat> it's also imperative to note that racism and sexism are systemic and they are a feature in our system rather than a bug. Patriarchal white supremacy nearly destroyed our nation and we must take special care that it doesn't happen again. And now in this story of Marie Laveau and voodoo in New Orleans at her time, we see that a serious religion and way of life was demonized just because it was other and the status quo felt threatened. Women who had few rights in society were marginalized and chastised when they did what they could to take care of themselves and their children. And um, they did what they could to worship God, the God they believed in, when there were few other options, even for free women. Even free women were still beholden to men, white men. Now, I'm not trying to demonize white men. There's nothing wrong with being white. There's nothing wrong with being a man. What I am saying that is throughout history, men obviously use their whiteness and their sex and their gender to oppress others. And it was socially acceptable to do so. Now, that alone can be a whole other discussion that can last forever. But I bring this up now because it painted the picture of Marie Laveau that we have today. Because she is often seen as weird, she's often seen as a witch, she's often seen as a devil. And it's not because she was. <clears throat> Marie Laveau is said to have served as the voodoo queen between the years 1820 to 1869. However, there are a few mentions of Laveau um, in newspapers during this time. So the things that we know that come from newspaper accounts are of police raids on voodoo ceremonies and from the accounts collected by the Louisiana Writers Project. Police regularly raided voodoo ceremonies 
and arrested participants for unlawful mixed assembly of white and black people during the 1850s. It is likely that Laveau was, was swept up by the police raids on a voodoo ceremony in 1850, where a group of women were arrested. The Picayune newspaper reported that the arrested women were, and I quote, in the habit of frequenting a house back in the woods near um, St. Bernard's Canal, where they would go through a great variety of superstitious rites in a meager style of dress. The so-called, quote, large quantity of nonsensical paraphernalia was confiscated. So these blessed amulets that they used in their religion um, apparently got against the law and they were confiscated. A few days later, another raid was logged in the third municipality's guard book. A group of women was arrested at Millburg on Lake Pontchartrain in a house of ill fame for being in contravention of ordinances prohibiting slaves, free people of color, and white persons assembling together. We cannot have racial mixing. A week later, a group of women, including Marie Laveau, took the officers of the third municipality guards to civil court, claiming that they had been illegally arrested while practicing their religion. They claimed that they had been falsely imprisoned, improperly fined, and subject to assault and battery. The Picayune reported that Marie Laveau otherwise Widow Perry, FWC, FWC stood for Free Woman of Color, the head of the Voodoo Women, yesterday appeared before recorder Sinozu and charged Watchman Abreu of the Third Municipality Guards with having, by fraud, come into possession of a statue of a virgin worth $50. A later article described the statue as a quaintly carved figure resembling something between a centaur and an Egyptian mummy. Biographer Long posits that this um, statue sounds reminiscent of figural images called Nikizi, which were carved by the Congolese. I don't know the outcome of that lawsuit, I just know that it exists, that that lawsuit existed, and Marie Laveau made those um, accusations. Now, in 1859, a woman identified in the Picayune as Marie Clarice Laveau. Now, Marie Laveau's name is Marie Catherine Laveau. Catherine was her grandmother's name. But they called her Marie Clarice Laveau, and that could have been Marie Laveau. It could have been her daughter. It could have been someone else posing as Marie Laveau. Anyway, this woman was summoned before the recorder's court for disturbing the neighborhood. The paper wrote, Marie and her wenches were continuously disturbing her neighbor's peace 
and that of the neighborhood with their fighting and obscenity and infernal singing and yelling. It went on to say this exemplified, quote, the hellish observance of the mysterious rites of voodoo, one of the worst forms of African paganism. Furthermore, the Pekayun had to titulate readers by alluding to the debauchery by stating, quote, a description of the orgies would never do to put in respectable print. Now let's look at St. John's Eve, which is the eve of the feast of St. John the Baptist. This feast was an observance of the summer solstice, and it was a popular Catholic holiday in New Orleans at the time. Many of New Orleans voodoo practitioners and followers celebrated St. John's Eve at Marie Laveau's Maison Blanc on Lake, Lake Pontchartrain. That's French for White House, if you didn't catch on. The festivities were often led by Laveau and attracted white and black people from all over the city. After the Civil War, Anglo-American New Orleanians wallowed in the Lost Cause mythology and bemoaned what they considered misrule by Northern carpetbaggers, Southern scallywags, and black people. Although all walks of life celebrated St. John's Eve in New Orleans, post-Civil War articles painted the holiday as a debaucherous nuisance where black people went wild. One article in the Commercial, commercial Bulletin from 1869 clearly tried to paint newly freed people as unworthy of citizenship. The author stated that the St. John's Eve celebration consisted of, quote, midnight dances, bathing and eating, together with other less innocent pleasures, making the early summer a time of unrestrained orgies for the blacks. The writer painted black people as unfit for citizenship by stating that, quote, a more youthful hand puts up love filters and makes fetishes for the intelligent freedmen who elect governors and members of Congress out of their own numbers. The article went on to mention that Marie Laveau retired from leading the festivities as she was nearly 70 years old by this time. Race relations in New Orleans became untenable when the Crescent City White League, a paramilitary terrorist organization made up of largely Confederate veterans, attempted a coup d'etat to overthrow the Reconstruction Republican state government in 1874. In what became known as the Battle of Canal Street or the Battle of Liberty Place, five to 8,000 members of the White League fought the 600 members of the outnumbered Metropolitan Police Force and 3,000 black militiamen. The White League stormed the State House and held it, the Armory, and downtown New Orleans for three violent days 
until federal troops arrived and restored the government. Do you see how tenuous democracy is? You have to continually fight for it. You have to continually fight for civil rights and, um, you know, um, suffragist rights. Um, you have to, and it just seems like such an uphill battle and you get beaten and sometimes you even get killed. But you have to keep that resistance up. Otherwise, this... Um, authoritarianism just swallows up democracy so it's a constant struggle it's a constant battle and it has to be it has to continue now back to this story when all federal troops were pulled out of new orleans in 1877 democrats or redeemers intent on overturn overturning the so-called negro misrule quickly regained power in the state. Race relations became even worse. So we can see how this time of redemption and harsh, harsh race relations coincided with anti-voodoo hysteria in the white press. White-owned newspapers from the 1870s through the 1890s rarely missed a chance to put people of African descent and voodoo in a bad light. They were saying that people who were black, people who were colored, people who practice voodoo were deficient and unworthy of citizenship. By this point, Marie Laveau was quite old. One of the Louisiana Writers Project interviewees, um, a woman named Anita Van Vell, who was born in 1860, and who grew up on St. Anne Street, remembered her mother taking her to St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1, where they saw an old, shriveled-up lady sitting by a tomb. Mrs. Von Verne said her mother told her, that's Marie Laveau, the voodoo woman. They say she was pretty when she was young, but because of the work she did, when she got old, she was dried up and looked like a witch. Other interviewees born around the same time describe Marie Laveau as a statuesque woman in her 40s. This lends credence to the argument that someone, either Marie Laveau's daughter, also named Marie Laveau, um, often called Marie Laveau II, or someone else was claiming to be the original Marie Laveau and practicing voodoo in New Orleans. And they say that the youthful look um, became eternal because of her voodoo practice. But it was probably her daughter um, who was saying that she was the original. Anyway, Marie Catherine Laveau died on June 15th, 1881. She was 79 years old. However, many newspaper accounts made that she was much older than 79. Um, furthering the myth that she somehow avoided death for longer than she should have. Some of these accounts are disparaging. In what's called Marie Laveau, Death of the Queen of the Voodoos, she was described as the leader of that, quote, curious sect of superstitious darkies who combined the hard traditions of African legends with fetish worship. The New Orleans Times wrote that 
Tonight is St. John's Eve, and on the banks of Bayou St. John, all that is left of the old voodoo clan will convene to honor the memory of their late queen, Marie Laveau, by a series of drunken orgies around a bonfire. Now, up north, if you're reading the newspaper up there, they talk about how she was an intelligent woman. Woman, Yeah, she may have dabbled in trickery and mystery, but she was a skilled herbalist and she did a lot of charity work in New Orleans. She was known as visiting prisoners to help them secure freedom, and so many of them were innocent. And... Um, or she otherwise simply ministered to them in a very Christ-like fashion. Okay, now, you know, we're beginning to run out of time here. So I'm just going to close up a little bit by saying that you can visit Marie Laveau's um, tomb. She is buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. These are all above-ground tombs. Uh, when you encounter Marie Laveau's tomb, uh, her mausoleum is covered with X's because prior to about 2015, not, not in, re definitely in recent history, up until 2015, there was this thing where if you wrote an X on Marie Laveau's tomb and you spun around like three times or something, and you made a wish, Marie Laveau would grant you that wish. Well, that tomb and others became so, um, so damaged, so vandalized, that the Catholic Church just said, stop. And now the only way you can get into St. Louis Cemetery number one or number two, any actually any Catholic cemetery in New Orleans, you either have to have family buried there or you have to be with a guided tour group that you pay um, at the gate uh, because there was so much vandalism. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Let's conclude with bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. This is a poem called Marie Laveau by Shel Silverstein. Down in Louisiana, where the black trees grow, lives a voodoo lady named Marie Laveau. She got a black cat tooth and a mojo bone, and anyone wouldn't leave her alone. she go, GREEEEE! Another man done gone. She live in a swamp in a hollow log with a one-eyed snake and a three-legged dog. She got a bent bony body and stringy hair. And if she ever seen you messing around there, she'd go, go Another man done gone. And then one night when the moon was black, into the swamp came handsome Jack. A no-good man like you all know. And he was looking round for Marie Laveau. He said, Marie Laveau, you lovely witch. 
Why don't you give me a little charm that'll make me rich? Give me a million dollars and I'll tell you what I'll do. This very night, I'm gonna marry you. It'll be, um, another man done gone. So Marie did some magic and she shook a little sand, made a million dollars and she put it in his hand. Then she looked and she said, hey, hey, I'm getting ready for my wedding day. But old handsome Jack said, goodbye, Marie, you, you too damn ugly for a man like me. So Marie started shaking, her fangs started gnashing, her body started shaking, and her eyes started flashing. She went, Green! Another man done gone. So if you ever get down where the black tree grow and meet a voodoo lady named Marie Laveau, and if she ever asks you to make her your wife, Man, you better stay with her for the rest of your life, or it'll be another man done gone. Until next week, au revoir tout le monde.